welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. In this episode, Katie talks us through her two completely different birth experiences. The first is a pretty classic birth, while the second ends up being an entirely different and entirely natural birth experience. When she fell pregnant, Katie was overwhelmed by the massive information out there for first-time mums. She eventually discovered hypnobirthing and prepared for a natural first birth, but ended up throwing the birth plan out of the window on the day itself. It would still come in handy, however, when her second baby decided it was time to come into the world and that he wasn't going to wait around for anyone. So, hello Katie and hello Tobias, who we have right next to us. Hello. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming and agreeing agreeing to share your story with us. Um, We always start with the same first question. Um, Please, can you tell us your name, your surname, your age, where you're from, what you do in life, and about your lovely family, which I realise is a lot of questions, so <laughs> don't worry if you forget. So, my name is Katie Hallett, I am 30 years old, I'm married to Anthony Hallett, and I have two little boys called Marlo, who is two, and Tobias, who is four months old, and we live in Paris, we've been here for just under 10 years, um, but I'm originally from the UK. Wonderful. And what do you what do you do in life? So I am currently on maternity leave, but normally I manage a customer success team at a SaaS company. Nice. And you can explain another time what a SaaS company is. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, wonderful. So shall we start from the very beginning? Um, how did you and Aunt? Actually, I should say before we start, Katie and I do know each other very well. Um, a little background is, um, Katie, it's fair to say that I think you and Aunt and your lovely children were the inspiration for, for <laughs> us to have children because you were so wonderful at it and they were such little angels. Um, you really inspired us to take the plunge, so I'm forever grateful for that. But you've also taught me so much about parenting and motherhood. I feel like your story will be wonderful for everyone to hear. So thank you very much for agreeing to talk about it. You are very welcome. I'm also very <laughs> delighted that you decided to take the plunge. <laughs> We're in it together now. Yes, we are. Um, so, yes, back to the very beginning. So how did you and Ant meet each other? What was the beginning of your story in all of this? So we met in the summer before my final year of uni. So I did a four-year course and it was, he, he just finished, he just graduated doing a summer job, um, which consisted of working at a different festival every week for the whole summer. Oh, wow. Intense. And what, you followed each other around the festivals, is that no? So we, yeah, the, we were basically were working for a food company that um, went to a different festival each week. So we, I think we must have gone to about 12 or so festivals. It's a very cool way to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was um, certainly not my most glamorous uh, points. I think I hadn't showered for about seven days straight. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely love at first sight then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and what did, how did you feel about motherhood back then? I mean, maybe this was a long, long time ago. Maybe you weren't even thinking about it. Did you always know that you wanted to be a mum? Did you have ambitions or aspirations to that? Or did it come later? Um, I think, no, at that point, I definitely was quite detached from the whole motherhood thing. Um, I, when I started getting introduced to aunts, family and extended family and he has a very big um, well he has lots of brothers and sisters and also quite a lot of nieces uh, and nephews and so that was really my first exposure to children and babies and I always remember being like a bit of an imposter before that with around children and yeah I wasn't desperate for it from a really young age but sure. luckily they didn't scare you away from it they were <laughs> a positive influence in in that yeah very much so and I really admire them for that I think they're very good at just 
kind of making anyone feel like they're good enough to hold a baby and mm. equipped with everything they need to look after it and that you don't need a special kind of experience to magic touch exactly that's really important because i really feel like it can go both ways Mm. um it can feel quite traumatizing if you're thrown into a situation and made to feel out of your depth or something yeah definitely and so how did it come about when did you when what age were you when you first got pregnant with marlo um how was that planned you know what was what was the story there what was it a surprise how did it go <laughs> no so it was a pretty textbook experience um i think i was 28 when i got pregnant um and it was basically straight away like the first first time trying which um the first time yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah which i don't think I was expecting at all. Um, I don't think I realised I wasn't expecting it until it happened. <laughs> but obviously I was delighted uh, when it did happen. And I think, yeah, I don't think I would have loved the process of waiting anyway. Mm. So I was really happy that it was this move. Oh, that's amazing. And how did you find out? Did you have, you know, did you suspect? Did you, I don't know, did you miss your period? Like, what, how did it happen? Um yeah I think it was just I'm trying to remember now I I found out quite early on and I had a pregnancy test kicking around Mm. and I yeah I think it was like the first day because I had really regular cycles so it was the first day of my period and then I got the positive test I think how did it feel (laughs) I it was before I went to work the classic I think I had missed or I had a feeling but I waited till the next morning because it says that you should okay. uh, use your first wee of the day and so I followed the instructions that's very <laughs> um patient of you I don't think I'd manage that <laughs> I don't think I did manage that um yeah I say so I have a really vivid memory of walking to work in this little bubble of excitement and just what's going on <laughs> um with my headphones on listening to some songs that I'll remember to say um what songs were they do you remember just like not really famous ones but just um some like Christian stuff uh-huh. from, yeah and just being like really overwhelmed and happy oh yeah. full of love full of life and just like so I was carrying this little secret inside me and I remember just feeling so sneaky at work <laughs> that day like no one knew what was going on inside me <laughs> oh that's such a special feeling and how did you tell Ant? When did you tell him? How did you tell him? Um, I mean, what was his Oh, he was, yeah, I always wonder how people do, like, surprises for their husbands <laughs> with this kind of thing. I was just immediately, I was like, I'm going to do the test now, and then this is what it said. Let's both look at it while it comes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it together. <laughs> yeah. Very much in it together from the beginning. Yeah. Oh, that's really special. And um, And how did, yeah, how did this first pregnancy go with Marlo? Um, so broadly speaking I think it was really really good I didn't have any morning sickness which was something I was nervous about because I don't generally do well with nausea I'm very rarely sick yeah Um, and my mum had said that she didn't have that with either of us But I was never really sure whether that was just her forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know with mums, do you? <laughs> Rose tinted glasses. Yeah. So I, yeah, that was great. The first trimester was was basically as just normal life, and then the second trimester was very relaxed and no kind of major symptoms and then the third trimester I started to get a bit of back pain and stuff like that but Mm. other than that it was pretty straightforward. Nice so fairly smooth road up until birth. More or less yeah. Nice dreamy Mm. just what you'd wish on everyone (laughs) (laughs) and um and what about the birth itself so like how did it how did it kick off? Did you have any, I don't know, did you suspect it was imminent? How did it kick off? How did it go? You know, take us through, take us through what happened. Yeah, so I had heard about Braxton Hicks or kind of practice contractions. And I don't think I had really put a name on what I was experiencing until 
my second pregnancy. But mm. I, now looking back on it, I think that I'd been having those fairly regularly on and off for a week or so. Mm. And I'm just trying to cast my mind back to make sure that I'm not mixing up Tobias and Marley because the the most recent one's the one that's fresh in my mind. But no, so we'd been out for dinner um, with a friend um, who was passing through Paris from the UK and he'd been joking about, because he had his van with him, that he might take me to hospital if it was that night. (laughs) And then as we were walking home, I just had this weird sense. Nothing that I can put my finger on physically as symptoms go, but I was just like... It's tonight. I think it's tonight. Really, you had that. You had that going through your head. Yeah, and then when we got home, I had this weird sensation of like a kind of. It was almost like my water's breaking, but the t- only the tiniest amount of water, mm. and so I kind of was waiting for something else to happen, but nothing really happened, and then we went to bed, mm-hmm. and then I. I doused my pillow in clary sage oil <laughs> because I'd been told that was a way to make labour come on. <laughs> so I remember that night being in this cloud of clary sage and then somewhere in the early hours I started getting quite regular contractions. Mm, okay, so that woke you up then? You you were sort of... Well, I don't think I was really sleeping very properly right. because of the excitement at that point because I was like, I just think that something's happening. So I was kind oh, of... Wow waiting for them to get more regular and trying to rest as much as I could. So so what time are we talking about? So early hours, kind of one in the morning or something? You know, when do you start kind of... When do they start really building a pace? So it's not even really until the like waking hours of the next day. So okay. it was like period-type pain mm-hmm. all through the night. Mm-hmm. And then in the morning... I was going through all the prep notes that I had and it, everything I'd planned to do was just go on about life as normal uh-huh. until you can't bear it anymore. So I went to the post office, I went for a walk, and it wasn't until about 2pm that I was back at home saying, Aunt, I think you need to stop work and help me through this now. Wow, okay. So <clears throat> first initial feelings the evening before, suspecting it might be the night, slowly building overnight, but kind of giving you, you know, time to sleep rest mm. and then what so these were contractions were just gradually building over that time or did it kind of peak and then and and go away again or did you just have this sense that it was slowly building I think it was quite linear I remember having an app that you could track the times on which I started doing kind of mid-morning like 10 11 yeah and at that point they were like two three in every 10 minutes okay yeah but not very painful, so that's okay. when I went out and did a few things. Okay. Wow. And then and then they got more painful. So around then two o'clock you get home, you say, Aunt, this feels starts to feel real. We start you know, what do we do? What do you do? Are you running around kind of packing a hospital bag? Like what what are you doing at that time and what happens next? <laughs> so I should I should say as well that this was a sweltering day. It was about forty plus degrees oh, in Paris. I did I forgot that. Yeah. So I'd been on this very sweaty walk around lunchtime, <laughs> got home, and one of the things that was on our list to try was have a bath. Uh-huh. So sat in that for all of about five seconds. Oh, really? <laughs> Had a contraction, hated the experience of being in warm water. Oh, interesting. Because lots of people find that relaxing. Hmm. Not that for you. No. And actually, that was just after having called the hospital to ask them whether I should come in because at that point I was trying all my different positions and not feeling like I could easily support the pain right and what kind of positions were those those that you'd kind of got off the internet or with a midwife talked about what kind of things yeah so were they? things like um kind of leaning on the wall and having ant massage across from my back or um like kind of doing that cat cat pose from yoga like mm. on all fours um those kinds of things we didn't actually have a birthing ball but the sorts of movements that you would do on that but like on a, a bed or a chair mm-hmm. um that kind of thing okay nice so they weren't they weren't cutting the mustard anymore 
They weren't. And the hospital, I remember, because it was actually Ant that called them because I, when the contractions were coming, I was in too much pain to really talk. Yeah. And he asked, they asked him to ask me what, on a scale of zero to ten, what's the pain like? Mm, what did you say? And so I said nine because I didn't want to think that there was no scope. I, I, I felt like I was nowhere near giving birth, so I couldn't say ten. But okay. Shortly after hanging up with the hospital, that's when we tried the bath and I realised that I needed to go in because I just couldn't, couldn't cope. Anymore. Yeah, you needed the care, you needed the help and something to change. Mm. Okay, so then um, how do you get to the hospital? What happens next? you zoom off? How, do you, how long does it take to get there? So yeah, everything was very ready. We had the hospital back, so we just um, we called a taxi and went straight there. So it was about a 30-minute journey in the taxi. Okay. And what was that? taxi journey like because I can only imagine um <laughs> difficult when you're in that kind of um yeah it was bad yeah. <laughs> it was really really bad being sat down with the contractions was the worst possible position I think yeah um thankfully there was only maybe I don't know seven or eight of them in the space of that mm-hmm. taxi ride but I remember making a lot of noises yeah. <laughs> and the taxi driver bless him he was really sweet he's he i remember saying to him in between contractions before we got in do i need to tell you that i'm in labor and he said no 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 i immediately understood and you will be my first <laughs> <laughs> sounds quite proud actually <laughs> he's your chaperone for this big moment yeah and hopefully not too many speed bumps because <laughs> yeah i don't it was so. It was kind of the middle of the day, so the traffic was quite busy actually. But it was quite a smooth journey. And then know. you arrive at the hospital, the maternity clinic. So what happens then? Um, you're trying to manage your contractions. Um, how do they look after you? Do you have to go through any kind of process? Um, what happens next? So yeah, the I remember the midwife coming through, and the first thing she said to me was, actually before that, when I got into the hospital or the maternity clinic as it was the reception because that's also the place where women go to have their last few months of labor sorry of um of pregnancy checkups exactly yeah. yeah so at that point I was actually a bit hysterical and I remember crying to the receptionist and just being in so much pain and she's like what's wrong I said I'm in labor <laughs> and she, <Isn't> it obvious? <laughs> she called the lift and then I went upstairs to the bit where the labour ward is um, and then the midwife came in and the first thing she asked me was do you have a birth plan and <laughs> at this point was just feeling a bit yeah beyond in control of the situation I just I remember saying yes I do but you can throw it out of the window <laughs> get me the anaesthetist <laughs> okay so okay so what was on that birth plan then so that was broadly speaking I, I guess it's probably um, similar to a lot of birth plans, but my the guiding principles I had was that I wanted it to be as natural a birth as possible. Uh-huh. I didn't want anyone to offer me the epidural. Uh-huh. I wanted to have to ask for it. And I wanted to try things like water for pain relief, mm-hmm. which had already not gone very well. <laughs> um, I wanted to try gas and air, which wasn't actually an option because of COVID. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. That's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, that was the kind of broad principle. Got you. But arrived at the hospital, you said throw that out the window. <laughs> That's no good. Give me the give me the strong stuff. Basically, yeah. So at that point, they took me into the room. They measured the dilation, and I was four centimeters. Nice. Which I was quite, actually, I I knew kind of what I could have been at that point, and I was pretty happy with that because I knew that meant they would keep me and that I was considered yeah. officially in active labour right. so that I kind of was reassured by but then I also knew that there was quite a long road ahead so that confirmed that I wanted the epidural. Got you so and then were they forthcoming did it happen quickly you know how do you remember even because I imagine at that moment you've got so much that you're just trying to handle yeah. Um, do you even remember how that went? <laughs> to be honest, I actually really don't. And um, that's where having someone there to kind of think about all the admin is really helpful. And who knows what you want. 
yeah, I I don't I feel like there was a few contractions before any kind of pain relief kicked in where I was really not managing them very well, but with the help of the midwives and and we were all kind of like powering through but it was pretty swift. Yeah. But the anesthetist And and then you had I mean, is it instant relief? You know, did the um the epidural just kick in and were you able to then rest? You know, how did that then affect things? Yeah, it was fairly quick. I think from memory less than half an hour, like mm-hmm. fifteen, twenty minutes to start feeling mm-hmm. better and then gradually incrementally even better still. Mm-hmm. Um so by this point, so you've kind of got to the hospital mid-afternoon, is that right? We Yeah, so we got to the hospital at, I think it was somewhere between three and four. Mm-hmm. And I, so we, yeah, we killed quite a lot of time then once I had the epidural. We kind of dimmed all the lights, we put the essential oils diffuser on, we had John Mayer on the, on the speaker. Lovely. <laughs> it was really, really nice. And I had a little, maybe not sleep, but like shut eye. And a bit of a, yeah. Um, and that's actually really fond memories of that whole bit, really, of the labour. Just once, once I wake up, I remember being on the birth ball. So yeah, I should actually mention about this epidural, mm. it being what they call a walking epidural. Okay. Um, which basically means when it's done properly that you can you have all the benefits of an epidural but you can still stand up and walk around. That's amazing. So you're not stuck in one position on a bed. Exactly. Okay, that's amazing. So you were still able to move however you your body felt it wanted to move. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, once I'd had my little lie down... Um, I remember getting up and being on this birth ball and like listening to all of the songs that we kind of planned to listen to and just feeling. I remember the song specifically, um, waiting on the world to change, and just thinking oh, we are literally doing just that. Oh wow, what a song <laughs> for a time, a time like that. Yeah. Oh, so you have this gorgeous zen environment. You're you're in a good place because you're no longer fighting contractions. How how do you then know? Um, that it's time and, and, and what happens next when when does he arrive? Yeah, so the when you have this epidural they, they have a monitoring thing on you which um tells you kind of how fast but also how intense the contractions are, so it measures mm. all of that. And I wasn't really paying too much attention to it, but the midwives would come in and kind of check that as well as the dilation and it was kind of it was going fairly quickly, I think, for a first labour. My donation went from four to eight centimetres in a few hours. Oh. Which I was like really, really happy with because I'd kind of heard lots of varying things. Yeah. Mm. And then they told me I was at ten centimetres somewhere around like seven or eight PM. Mm, that does feel fairly quick. Or sound fairly quick, yeah. And then they said that I was at 10 centimetres, but they were going to leave me for a couple of hours to let the baby kind of work his way down naturally mm-hmm. before starting to get me pushing, basically. So that I wasn't necessarily ready for, to be honest. I kind of had it in my head that once you're at 10 centimetres, you'll push. Go time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have the feeling of I needing to push, mm-hmm. maybe because of the epidural, but maybe not. So I just kind of carried on waiting was at this point I was lying down again mm-hmm. and then I did get the urge to push after before the two hours they'd said was up oh interesting and so I called them and said I feel like I need to push and they told me that I needed to wait a bit longer I still don't really know if that was wholly in my best interests because I think mm. it could have been a bit to do with the other people they had ah uh, interesting they've got other mums giving birth at the same time I'm not sure. I yeah. I get I slightly got that impression because really not very long after they came in and said, Right, we're gonna do that now because the heart rate of Marlo was dropping. Okay, right. So, so they, he was ready and it was go time. Yeah. Okay. And then so what position were you then in? Were you lying down or 
So I have a choice. Yeah, I was really keen to try being on all fours Mm -hmm. just because that felt like a really instinctive position to be in. Um, And I'd, yeah, heard that it was a good way to be as well, just physiologically for getting the baby out mm. um but it wasn't really it didn't it didn't cut the mustard <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so i did a few pushes oh, a few contractions like that but nothing was happening um mm-hmm. so at that point had a huge panic right <laughs> um totally lost it and i think i said something to the midwife i was i was crying a lot and i said i don't i can't do it i'm really scared and she said i remember saying why do you why would you be scared like you're you're literally made to do this or something like that and she said let's try another position what do you want to try and I said like I can't I can't think I need you to guide me tell me what to do yeah so she said okay let's try like sitting up basically so if you picture the hospital bed like your back basically totally straight Mm. um and I had my leg, I had one foot in her hand and one foot in Anne's hand. Mm-hmm. So a little bit like that kind of caricature of labour, but mm-hmm. not at all in the sense that it's 90 degrees up. Okay, <sighs> rather than lying down. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then push like that for about half an hour. Um, doing the type of pushing that, you know, you're not breathing. Like you're kind of holding all of your breath. Big and just push. like this. Pushing for literally as... As long as you can. And did it start to feel like you were getting traction? Did that feel like the right position? Did you sort of start to feel like things were, were happening? They, I was, at that point, I think I was quite detached from the feelings. I think mm. I was very much being guided by the midwives. Yeah. And they were telling me, like, we can see his head, things are happening, like, more of that. Wow. So it was very... In lots of ways, it was um, not how I'd hoped and that I was hoping I would be guided by my own sensations that my body was feeling. Yeah. But actually, like, the midwives were amazing and it was a really positive They helped you through it. And how was Ant through all of this? How was he? I mean, was he, you know, fully involved? Was he sort of cowering in the corner? You know, what, (laughs) what was he up to in all of this? Yeah, so I guess it's one of those things, isn't it? All of the guys, are, you know, are they going to be at the, the head end? Or the business end, <laughs> or the... Yeah, and I was so glad that he was where he was. Like, I just needed him there. And yeah. the fact that it wasn't just two people that I didn't know, and yeah. I needed someone that I that knew me and that I could trust that it was all going as well as they were saying yeah. type thing. Yeah. So was he so he was holding one of your legs and yeah, was he, he could see what one of your feet and he could see what was going on as well. Uh I guess so. We yeah, we don't I haven't dwelled on that lately. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he was doing that and he was holding my hand so my foot with one hand and my hand with the other hand. Oh. And at one point, the midwife said that I could reach and touch his head. Um, oh my gosh! I just I got these bumps. <laughs> how did it? How did it feel? You could very feel soft. It. <laughs> <laughs> I think I wasn't ready for it to feel. I don't know. You kind of imagine like a human head, but obviously uh-huh. like a or an adult head. But um, yeah, it was really just soft and like obviously covered in hair but just not really what I was expecting to be honest but you were able to lean lean over feel that your baby was about to arrive mm. how did that feel did you did, I mean was he then just suddenly in your arms did it feel magical I think it was actually a fair few pushes after that mm. and it wasn't like the kind of you know once you can see the baby's head, then it just all happens really quickly. Mm. It was actually quite a long time pushing, like a good five, ten minutes. But mm. I also knew from the midwives that they were only going to let me push for half an hour because that okay. was the policy of this maternity clinic. Okay. And I, I knew because I could see the clock that we'd gone to that half an hour. And so I was a bit stressed and kind of just giving everything that I had. Wow, at that okay. Point. So you really felt like you had a timer on you? A little bit. Wow. That. Must have been a bit stressful. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but it was, a, you know, I think afterwards it was about 35 minutes, so it wasn't that much more afterwards. And I remember her saying to me, like, I knew you could, I instinctively could see that you were going to get there, so we, there was no they way we were going to, yeah. And so little Marlo arrives. Mm. What happens? He, he comes out. Like yeah, this. he comes out and they put him on me straight away. Um, I don't remember feeling like I wanted to hear him cry. A lot of people say, like, you need to hear the first cry mm. from a baby to know that they're okay, but I don't really remember that. Mm. He wasn't crying. He was just on me for a really long time, like mm. two hours or something, while they were doing everything that needed to be done. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. How did it feel holding your little baby? Bliss. Oh. Just total bliss. <laughs> um, like you've run a marathon, <laughs> which yeah. I haven't done, but I have run a half marathon. <laughs> um, and then just like the best possible recompense after oh, that. <laughs> like, yeah. Amazing reward. Yeah. Oh, what a special moment. Yeah. Did you feel just very connected with the baby with Ant did you feel like you were still in that lovely zen little bubble yeah and yeah I like he was just so warm as well and so they they kind of put him on you but he stays just as he is with the umbilical cord and everything and they put um like warmed blankets on him to stop him from getting cold but the whole importance of skin to skin was something that the um, maternity clinic really valued so they really wanted to leave him there basically for as long as they could before oh. doing anything else so it was just a really nice little special moment snuggly cuddly. oh <laughs> so wonderful um and so then you you gave birth in paris you said that so um we know that in in france they tend to keep mums and babies in maternity clinics longer than maybe they do elsewhere mm-hmm. um how was your time at the maternity how long were you in for how did the next few days go was you know you're learning how to look after a baby for the first time how how was it all mm-hmm. so we were in for i think it was about five or six days mm-hmm. including the day that he was born um and actually because it was covid as well um we I was just delighted to be there I felt really like we were in a happy cocoon and Mm. that we had people we could call upon for all of the questions on feeding and is it normal that this has just come out of him (laughs) type thing (laughs) this scary looking green stuff what's it called meconium yeah (laughs) um yeah so that for me was really really reassuring and it was nice just to not have to be faced with the world and we had our own private room as well so Mm. we were really just in a little (laughs) bubble we did lots of Watching of the OC past <laughs> seasons, nice. in between all of the feeding and not sleeping. And how how was feeding? Because obviously, incredibly intense when with a newborn, they want to feed all the time, don't they? How how did it go? What did you do feeding wise? So feeding was hard. That is definitely one of my memories of it, and I don't think we had a particularly difficult journey with it either. Um, but I just remember it expecting that it would feel way more natural than it did Um, and we'd done quite a lot of research Ant was quite kind of clued up on how it's supposed to work as well so and this is breastfeeding sorry yeah Mm, yeah 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 um so just basically every time he would make a sound (laughs) pretty much just trying to get him to feed um and his first few hours, he was just really sleepy, I think, because he was probably tired after the birth. And you were too, presumably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the last thing you want to do is try to wake this child <laughs> yeah. to force him to feed. Um, and so the first time in the middle of the night following his... He was born at 10pm mm-hmm. and he didn't he didn't feed straight away. He was just really sleepy. And then the first feed, we did a bit of expressing um, with, like, hand expression and put it on a spoon and fed him that um, somewhere around, like, 2am. 
but then he didn't really wake himself. So by that point, the next day at sort of six, seven a.m., the midwives were kind of in trying to get him to wake up and feed. And, okay. Um, and then we were told basically you need to wake him every three to four hours if he doesn't naturally. Okay, and get him on your breast and. And did you do then, um, did, did he sort of latch on kind of fairly easily or did it take a bit of time just to get used to it? You know, how did that, how did it get? Because obviously your milk only comes in a few days later as well. So at this point it's colostrum. They're only getting a tiny bit really, but did it, did it kind of feel like it was going smoothly or did, was it, was it a steep learning curve, I guess? Because no one really knows before yeah. you do it. I think he was latching quite well, um, but every feed was really variable mm. so there'd be somewhere it would just work and others where it would take me and and all of our hands mm. to get him in the right position yeah and I remember this thing of like once he was sucking not ever wanting even if I didn't think it was quite right yeah. just being really afraid to stop the feed which now with hindsight I know is not the best approach okay interesting why because it it might be damaging your nipples or yeah or and I never really had any damage of that nature but just um I guess now I would be much less afraid of going through the process of getting him to latch again just because mm. I think it's really important I know it's really important yeah. to you to make sure that they're getting into the right habit because it's a learning curve for both of you really mm. so if they start practicing it wrong then it's it's kind of a vicious circle uh, interesting so you want to try and get it right and fix things if it's not feeling quite right mm. interesting um so you got home with this gorgeous baby mm. um how you know you're now you're now a mother you've had a huge role change you know massive life change um in your p- personal family life mm. where um where are you professionally at this point um, so did you plan to take maternity leave, paternity leave? Um, yeah, so I, um, I was on, I'd had a couple of weeks before my birth of maternity leave and then I had about three and a half, four months planned off after that. Um, and again, it was COVID, so Marley was born in July and what I actually did, which was amazing, was I went back to work from my parents' house and they looked after him for the first month and a half oh, while lovely. I went back to work, mm-hmm. which was great because it meant that I could carry on breastfeeding him and not have to worry about hand expression and all that. Mm. Oh, sorry, not hand expression. Um, hand thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, great. So they, they really helped you in that first bit of month, first couple of months. And, and what about Ant? Did he have any paternity leave? Did he want to take it? He, yeah, so his company gave him a month um, of paternity leave and he took a couple of weeks straight away, which was, I think, really necessary that time. Um, and he then took the other couple, I think it was around Christmas time, so that we had time with the wider family as well. Okay. Lovely. And then, so you're settling into life with a newborn. At what point did you then go... We're ready for a new one. <laughs> we're we're ready to go again, and and you know when did that happen? Was it a very was it a conscious thing, or did it just happen naturally, or had you always thought we'd love them to have them fairly close? Like what? How did that? How did little Tobias come about? <laughs> yeah, so I think um, it all felt totally intangible until I got my periods again. Uh-huh. Um, which when when was that do you remember yeah it was about eight or nine months i think after marley was born okay and was that um how long after how long did you breastfeed marley for was there a gap after you finished breastfeeding before your periods then came back yeah so i kind of gradually stopped and around seven eight months so Mm -hmm. it was definitely i think linked to that Mm -hmm. um and yeah the, the process of suddenly thinking okay my body's actually ready to have another baby kind of made me think I start entertaining that whole idea again basically so we started trying uh, quite soon I think 
um, for another one, but it did take a little bit longer this time. I think it was about six months. Okay, interesting. So Marlowe had been on the first kind of cycle, mm. yet Tobias then was around six months of trying. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Which is, I and I think I had assumed it would be exactly the same experience. Textbooks, same thing, right. Just because you only know what you know, I suppose. So yeah. I assumed it would be like rinse and repeat. But, <laughs> um, but no, so I, it was a little bit tricky, I suppose, just because every month you're thinking, gosh, what if this actually never happens? But six months is not that long to wait in the grand scheme of things. No. And so, okay, so then you found out you were pregnant again. Did Were there other differences from... Um, from Marlowe's pregnancy, did you did you have different symptoms or did you feel different? Yeah, um, yeah, to the point where I was really convinced he was a girl because <laughs> they were so different. I thought the first trimester was much more textbook in the sense I felt very nauseous, mm. didn't ever have any vomiting, but I had all those weird food cravings. Like I was eating. And what kind of thing? Like. Um, these French crisps that are called Monster Munch that are different to the British Monster Munches. Which, <laughs> which ones are better? Uh, Careful what you say. The Fre- well, the French <laughs> ones are basically like pom bears. Okay. <laughs> um, so lots of those, um, just like plain, really salty things, mm-hmm. um, would would be what I was craving. And but then after the first trimester, it was a lot more similar. Okay. And then build up to the birth. Did you, um, I don't know, going in for a second time, did did it feel different in the sense of you knew what was coming more this time? Did you have hopes about how it might be the same versus different? You know, did you, as, you know, I know you can't necessarily control much, but did you hope that things would be similar, different? Did you pre- prepare differently this time? Or? Yeah, I think I... Broadly speaking, felt like the birth with Marley was really positive. So I was quite keen to just keep as much of that the same as possible, really. Mm. There was a bit of a stressful moment after his second ultrasound. So in my second trimester, they said that the placenta was low down. um, And if it didn't move up, which is really, they said was really common that it would move up. Um, but if it didn't, they said that I might have to have a C-section, which I was a bit sad about and stressed about, but it did what it needed to do, so that was all fine. Um, but the, uh, prep-wise, I had a midwife who was really great, um, who did like a special prep for second time mums, and so she kind of walked through anything that you should be aware of that might be slightly different second time. And what kind of things are they? Do you remember? Yeah, well, the thing is, as with everything in like pregnancy and birth, everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. A lot of them are not the same. So I often found it helpful just to pick a healthcare professional and choose their opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and so her her kind of advice was that your second birth or your second labour, broadly speaking, will be roughly half the length of your first. Um, and she also said, like, anything in terms of your family history, like your mum and stuff, is it is all genetic. So kind of, if there was anything that happened there, then prepare for it to happen with you. Mm, interesting. Um, and she was great as well about getting ready, getting the older sibling ready. So little mm. tips about we got Marley to buy him a little present and um yeah just kind of oh yeah we we, we bought a little present from Marley which was a little photo book of Marley's life and talking about how the three of us would become four and oh so sweet just because thinking about those things that you wouldn't necessarily think about have thought about otherwise because at this point how old is Marley when you're about to go into labour with Tobias he uh was just about to turn two so there's yeah he's he was two months off turning two okay wow so having a toddler while you were pregnant and then going into a second well just while you were pregnant and then having a second baby mm-hmm. um how, i mean how how was that you know obviously you can't rest as much clearly <laughs> you were the first time you haven't got another little person who needs you constantly um how mm-hmm. was that to manage 
Yeah, it was. It wasn't without challenges. Um, I remember a very direct correlation between like picking Marlow up and Braxton Hicks contractions happening. Mm. And that was a bit spooky until you're at a point where you're ready to, you know, in the window where it's okay to give birth. Right. So every time you were picking him up to go and cuddle, you were starting to feel the physical strain contractions happening. Interesting. Yeah, which, um, and that was another thing actually that happened at my third ultrasound. She checked about the placenta. So she had to do like a special type of ultrasound that meant she could see the length of my cervix at that point and she told me that it was pretty I think effaced is the right word but I'm not sure um and she said it's nothing to be alarmed about but you are about a millimeter in the right direction from what would be kind of something to start being alarmed about <laughs> so it felt Wait, quite so close does that margins that, does that mean your cervix was um short basically yeah. it had shortened yeah but almost to the point where you were going to have to give birth or what would have what was the no i think to the point where they would have said that the advice would have started to be like rest and okay. take it really really easy the thing is though no one really routinely measures that anyway it was okay. just she'd happened upon it because of this other thing she was because doing. essentially you could have gone into premature labor had that gone over the edge Exactly, but she was really good about it and very keen to kind of stress, you're not there, you're just close to it. And actually, in lots of ways, this is just your body doing what it needs to do anyway. So, you know, you you need to be slightly careful not to go too far the other way. But ultimately, being active is still really good for getting your body ready to give birth. Gotcha. So not in itself a bad thing something to be aware of but it was nice for Anne to hear because she said take it easy nonetheless (laughs) (laughs) did you hear that Anne (laughs) make sure you're giving her lots of rest and looking after her exactly sometimes they need that little prod don't they (laughs) it's a different journey for the dad versus the mum um and so getting to the birth of little Tobias Mm. how did how did the birth go this time how was it different what what how did it kick off where did it all begin very different. So, um, I, my waters broke in a much more dramatic fashion, actually in the middle of the night. So it was okay. about two in the morning, I think. Um, and near your due date, on your due date? Before my due date, um, it was in my 39th week. 39th week. And was that similar to what you had with Marlo or? Yeah, it was exactly two days before what Marlo's pregnancy length was. Okay. If that makes so... sense. A week essentially before both in your 39th week. Mm. So it was 39 plus 4 for Marlo and 39 plus 2 for Tobias. Okay. Yeah. And so, middle of the night, you're asleep and then you suddenly feel your yeah. waters break? Yeah, exactly. So, wake up with that sensation. What does that feel like? Was was it, you know, is it a big <laughs> surprise? Are you shocked? Or? I'd say exactly like you imagine it would. <laughs> In the sense that, yeah, it's um, just like a real, I guess you, it's surprising in some ways that it would be enough to wake you up, but it is quite a lot of water. Um, so the advice was to go to the toilet and make sure that it was kind of still happening and that it wasn't a one-off, a one-off thing. And w- with Marlo, you had that sort of feeling that tonight was the night... Um, you know, you had sensations one way or another telling you that this was the moment. Did you have any of that with Tobias? That kind of yeah, loads, but wrongly. Okay, <laughs> so for the the week prior, I just felt several times. I think that I was quite ready, and that it might happen. And what did that mean physically? Could you just could you feel him sort of pushing down? Yeah. Like what was that? Okay, definitely that. Um. There was one time where I had really regular contractions that felt like they were kind of building in intensity, but then eventually heated out. Okay. Um, and then this time, conversely, I had the waters breaking, but I didn't actually have contractions at that point. So I rang the hospital and said, this has happened. And they said, um, do you know what the result of your group B strep test was? Which is something that they routinely test for in France. And 
I said yes, I know I'm positive for it. And they said, okay, fine, you need to come in now then. Or basically get a bag together, have a shower if you want. Um, But don't dilly-dally. Okay. (laughs) So my mum had come out to help and she was staying down the road. So I had to wake her up and tell her to come over. So this was three in the morning. Okay. Exactly, yeah, to look after Molly. And we basically, within an hour, were in a taxi. Okay. Um, An hour from you waking up with this feeling... Water's broken, call the hospital, call your mum, jump in a taxi within I an did hour. have a quick shower. Yeah. Because she said it on the phone and it sounded like quite a good idea. <laughs> um and by the time my mum had come I was getting regular ish, painful ish contractions. Okay. Got in the taxi, um he made a joke about how I would have some sort of amount of vouchers if I gave birth in his taxi <laughs> and I felt like I was so far off giving birth at that point that I joked that there was no way that would happen I don't give birth in the taxi but <laughs> um it transpired that it wasn't that soon after so yeah I got to the hospital and at that point was having to kind of really breathe through the contractions they were quite painful so they they escalated quite quickly then in intensity mm-hmm. okay. very much so um and yeah, she she asked me what. Um. Yeah, the midwife asked me what my kind of birth preferences were. I say this before, and I said that I would like the epidural. That I kind of had no reason not to want it. That it was a really positive experience last time and stuff. And. We kind of were going through the process of getting the anaesthetist doing all of the admin and stuff. Um, and the contractions were getting to the serious level that I remembered from the last time all really, really quickly. Wow, okay, okay. So an hour to get to the hospital-ish or just over an hour? And then how how far in are we at this point, time-wise? So at this point, we are... I'd say we get to the hospital, yeah, like an hour and 15 minutes after the water's breaking. And then it takes us maybe 10, 15 minutes to get a room and start talking about the anaesthetist, at which point I have the contraction, the kind of infamous contraction that you hear about in your prep, which is like the transition I now realise was the transition where I went, ah, I'm panicking, I don't know what to do. Um, and the midwife had a look in her eyes that told me that she knew what was going on and she said okay she and she measured my donation and she said yeah that's the baby <laughs> wow so you were already at 10 centimeters actually that's true so they measured they measured the donation um when i got there and i was at uh six six centimeters i think and then yeah 10 minutes later i was at 10 <laughs> wow okay yeah Wow. <laughs> I can just process that for a minute. So this is literally a couple of hours maximum since your water's broke. And you're about to, the baby's about to come out. Exactly. And I, at that point, after this huge contraction where I freaked out, then the sensation totally changed from pre-pushing contractions to I need to push. And that's when I actually said to the midwife and that's when she checked what was going on because um she yeah I said I think I feel like I need to push and then she checked and she said yeah I can I can feel the baby's head okay so you had asked for the epidural and then the baby's suddenly here <laughs> yeah. um how does that feel are you does that put you in a panic mode or do you are you just sort of so absorbed by that need to push at this point so she was really great actually she kind of gently said into my ear like this is a birth that's going to happen without pain relief um in a really kind of calming way and she said so just trust all your instincts you know just wow. really gentle and, and sweet and because I'd done all the prep for that the first time around I was actually quite happy in some ways the reason I'd wanted the epidural was because I didn't see how I could manage the labor mm. but actually knowing that I was ready to push I was quite happy to not have the epidural wow so you trusted your body trusted that you were going to be able to get through that yeah more or less and like without the epidural it was just a very different experience you can very much I could very much feel 
everything I'd almost hoped for the first time around. Like I could follow all those natural urges and it was really just nice to be able to and this time I did give birth on all fours. So it did was you? um it was very much the most natural position. Like I could almost feel my limbs moving before my brain was telling them to. Wow, okay, so just your body takes over, mm. mind sort of shuts out a little bit and you're just feeling everything. Yeah, exactly. Wow, okay. Um and yeah, the pushing part was well actually one thing that I forgot to mention about the pre-pushing mm. was that part of the thing that they do in this hospital was you need the um, ca- cannula in your hand, mm-hmm. uh, which is regardless of whether you're having the epidural or not, mm-hmm. just like a precaution, I think, in case something happens that means they need to give you a general anaesthetic quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was trying to get this thing into my hand and between her and her assistant midwife they just weren't managing it and so they tried about five times to get it into the vein on my hand on different hands there was a lot of blood spurting out of my hands oh gosh and it was all just quite an unnecessary stress and this was all going on through these big contractions oh wow so you've already had enough to deal with and that was good and I, i i said to her like i need to push and she thankfully said okay she just said you just go for it <laughs> oh thank goodness because yeah. that's the last thing you need if you're trying to just get through that huge moment yeah so, so that was a little listened. bit stressful and it was kind of adding to the stress of the moment but it we're talking about a question of minutes because yeah. everything was happening so fast but goodness okay so you're then pushing how how quickly does little Tobias arrive what does it feel like because you can yeah. feel absolutely everything I'm not going to say it wasn't painful, um, but it was very quick compared to Marley. I think I was pushing for five minutes. Um, I did one push and she said that the head was coming out, which was super satisfying. And yeah. you think, great, this is exactly how I do it. And then I kind of, because she'd said that, sort of allowed myself to stop and then felt him come back inside me. Oh, wow. Which was a bit stressful. And I didn't think I'd ever heard anyone talk about or prepared for mentally happening. Wow, so you did a big push, you felt him coming, she said he was coming, and then he sort of sucked back in. Yeah, (laughs) exactly that. (laughs) And I did panic a bit, and I said, is that okay? You know, because I was looking away from everyone else because I was on all fours. I couldn't see their responses to anything that was happening. And I remember asking, you know, is that okay? Is it normal? Is there a problem? And she just very calmly told me it was fine and that just to push again on the next contraction. So I waited for the next one and pushed a lot harder and a lot more kind of proactively, I suppose, like blocked the breath like I did with Marley and made sure that he was firmly out <laughs> before I stopped. Um, and then, yeah. Was he out that second so time? So that, that time the head was out and then I did a second push for the shoulders. And then that was it. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. And and then he was with you again. Was he straight on to you? How gosh, and you did it all by yourself. You yeah. didn't even you thought you'd have the epidural and you ended up <laughs> doing it all. It's amazing. Yeah, so she I remember she said like you can reach down and take him <gasps> which sounds like a great idea, but at the time because it had been really in although there were many pushes, it was still it required a lot of exertion, basically. Yeah. So yeah. I felt a bit, and also just the adrenaline of the whole thing, I was a bit shaky and yeah. I didn't feel like I could actually pick up him, pick him up and do all, and manoeuvre myself onto my back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it just all felt a bit complex with the umbilical cord, I just couldn't yeah. figure it out. <laughs> so I was like, can you please just put him on me? Yeah. <laughs> so they did that. Wow, so you lay back down, you have to buy us on you. How is Ant? Because he's obviously been through a whirlwind as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, is he coping? I think it's simple, yeah. Um, because this is two hours after your water's broke. Yeah, I was in the hospital, I know, from the birth mates for 45 minutes. So, yeah. Wow. But no, he was he was doing really well. Like, he was holding my hand, actually, so he was kind of up by my head this time I think just because things had happened so fast there was no I didn't need to like him to hold any body part this time so he was just there kind of caging me 
and stuff. But yeah, he was great. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you've got wonderful Tobias. Um, and how has the sort of, you know, the famous fourth trimester postpartum period been yeah. this time? You know, has it been smooth? You know, you're not learning everything for the first time. How how has that been different to being a first-time mum? So it's been so different and it's hard to, to say how much of that is experience versus not, versus COVID versus not, mm. versus just different babies. But my reflex is, I think that they, Milo was a much more difficult baby. So mm. that fourth trimester with Milo was really, really hard for all the obvious reasons, but I think he was quite colicky and reflexy as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tobias was just, has been basically something he was born a very very content baby that slept very easily um he doesn't he's not one of those babies that you hear about that sleeps through the night from day one but in Do most exist? <laughs> most other senses he's been he's been really 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 lovely and just a joy to be around well, as we are speaking, Tobias <laughs> has just quietly drifted off on your chest yeah. and is very happily having a snooze, um, so living up to his reputation. <laughs> um, well, thank you for sharing your story with us. That's um, a lovely note to end on. <laughs> and um, We wish you all the best for a wonderful, wonderful future and happiness as a family. Thank you. That's the end of this episode. Take care and see you next time.